wonder if I turn the phone to where I'm not going to be sideways. That'd suck. You're alive, so. Well, if I'm sideways, my apologies. Okay. Why did King Kong climb the Empire State Building? He couldn't fit in the elevator. <laughs> Why do pirates not know the alphabet? They're always stuck at sea. Why does the why is the letter B very cool? Very cool. Uh huh. Because it's sitting in the AC. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Corny. <laughs> okay, so I am super excited about today. Uh, gosh, I probably studied this three weeks ago. Because um, I love talking about peace and real peace. You know, not peace because of circumstances or peace because you get, you know, answered prayer, but peace that is beyond understanding that's on the inside. And that was what was being offered to the children of Israel when they went to the promised land. And so where we talked a, a couple weeks ago about how it's his calming place of rest, that's what he was offering the Israelites. Uh, whenever you get into striving, you're no longer in rest, right? So you're striving to get in rest. But if you're striving, then you're not in rest, if that makes sense. And so that was what they were supposed to overcome their enemies for. Uh, they had more uh, battles once they crossed the Jordan into the Promised Land than they had before. So a lot of people think that when you cross the Jordan into your Promised Land that, oh, you, you know, yay, I'm in the Promised Land. No, that's when... Uh, internal stuff, external stuff, all these things start coming at you uh, to basically make you back away, back off, whatever it is. So the calming place of his rest is aka peace. Okay, They cannot be shaken. They cannot be touched. So here in uh, Hebrews chapter 4 verses 1 through 2 it says, Now God has offered to us the same promise of entering into his realm of resting and confident faith. So we must be extremely careful, I like that phrase, to ensure that we all embrace the fullness of that promise and not fail to experience it. For we have heard the good news of deliverance just as they did, yet they didn't join their faith with the word. Instead, what they heard didn't affect them deeply, for they doubted. Okay, now the promise of deliverance, the good news of deliverance is interesting because the good news of deliverance was given to them, to them before they fought their enemies. Because you always war from a place of victory. Always. And so you have to have that mindset of victory before you engage in battle or you've already lost. Okay, so uh, I wanted to point that out really quick. Now, the taking of the promised land is obviously the physical equivalent of the spiritual realm of wrestling, wrestling, resting for us as New Testament believers. And um, all victorious warfare is centered in peace. Okay, so in Romans 16, 20, 
this is, I think, would be an extremely important scripture, especially as time goes on. Um, hang on one second. So, Father, uh, we ask for Holy Spirit to come in this place. We thank you so much for your presence. We have to ask that you shift the atmosphere in Jesus' name. And that you sell our hearts to be at peace, to receive the word of righteousness by those that are in peace. And we thank you for your word. We ask that it penetrate deeply in Jesus' name. Okay, so listen to this. No, I and, don't see where you're alive. Huh? I don't see where you're alive here. Okay. Well, we'll just do that one and then I'll, I'll add it later. Okay. And the God of peace, peace will swiftly pound Satan to pulp under your feet. I love that. Swiftly pound Satan to a pulp under your, your feet. And the wonderful favor of our Lord Jesus will surround you. Now, I'm going to mess with your theology a little bit. Remember I said in the message this morning, I'm going to mess with your heads a little bit. The word God is not his name. <coughs> uh, now, we'll probably continue to use it as a name, but that's actually not his name. It's a function. So, it's his office. Yahweh is his name. Okay, remember Moses said, well, who am I going to say is sending me? And he said, I am that I am, or Yahweh. Uh, so the word God is the root word El, and it means ruler, judge, magistrate, and supreme. So all of these are offices or functions like the Supreme Court Justice. So you have, you know, uh, Amy Comey uh, Barrett. She's not, her name is not Justice. That's her function. It's a title that's added so that we can designate her out of anybody else that's standing there from, you know, people that are justices versus people that aren't. Queen Elizabeth. You know, queen is her function. Elizabeth is her name. And so I think one thing that's important is that we relate to him by his name, not just his function, right? So we submit to his rule but we relate to him as Yahweh or Jesus, actually, because that's now the name above every name, and that includes Yahweh. See, that's what a lot of people that get stuck in that whole Yahweh and uh, Yeshua and all that stuff. Jesus is the name above every name, right? And so he is, and this is what um, you know, God means, ruler, judge, magistrate, and supreme. Now, in John 10, 30-36, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. And the Jews, it says, uh, picked up stones again. <laughs> They'd already had stones, dropped them. Now they're even madder. They pick up stones again to stone him. And Jesus said, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? And the Jew says, well, it's not for the good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. See, religion's all about the office. Religion's all about the function. That's why people that have a religious spirit, I'm apostle, <coughs> prophet, pastor, so-and-so, or whatever it is. Now, if you have to elicit your function to establish authority, that's different. But for people where titles are very important, there's usually some aspect of a religious spirit or religious mindset going on inside of them. It's also very hard for people that are in religion to relate to God. So 
what do they do? They address him as a function versus as a person. Yeah, and I know his father. They're, um, I believe the scribes, when they would translate, of course it was all done by hand. Whole new pen. And yes, whole new pen. They had to wash before they could even write them down. Well, and y'all, yeah, I mean, that is the sacredness of Yahweh to them. Uh, but the the God aspect, people can get really confused on that. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then what I'm about to say might even make people even more mad. But where it says, because you being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law? I said, you are gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? And we have a couple problems here. They only recognize him as man, obviously. But he's saying in the word it says, you are gods. Now the new age has more understanding of this than Christians. In fact, Christians shy away from those ideas because of the new age. Just like they shy away from uh, you know, partnering with God and getting a picture in your imagination of what Holy Spirit has uh, formed as far as your life or the miracle you need or the promise you're going after. So anything that even smells like new age, oh my gosh, we can't do that, although it's in the Word. I mean, how many people, if you say you need to meditate, (gasps) well, yeah, meditate on the Word. You know, people get so ridiculous because words and phrases have been stolen by the devil. Same thing with the rainbow. It's The rainbow began with God, right? So we need to begin to understand and, and, and view the Word through the Word, not through words that people have taken and perverted and corrupted, right? And I think the... The things that Satan does steal is the things we ought to really concentrate on, right? Because he has a better understanding. Let's don't let's let's pervert meditation. Let's pervert rainbow. Let's right. Pervert some of this stuff. Yeah. So that they will stray away from what they think is perversion, and instead you lose that core. Well, and then it's like it you know the council of God in heaven, right? Uh, it's Elohim plural. So there, he called them gods. You know, so he called together the gods, but he is the supreme God, right? He's the supreme ruler. Then you have in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, it says, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Okay, now that's interesting. The God of this world. He's a ruler. And then you have in Exodus 7, 1, And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh. And your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. And of course, Psalm 82. Verse 1, God has taken his place in the divine council in the midst of the gods. He holds judgment. And then 6, 7, I said, you are gods. Sons of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. That was the scripture, actually, that Jesus was saying in your law. And did you notice that's interesting? He says, in your law. I find that interesting. Because he gave the law. But he rules himself by the law of love. So the law that he gave to them wasn't for him. Right? It was for them. It was a tutor to their need for a savior. That was the whole purpose of the law. And so he gave them that. And instead they took that and made that actually a god. So I find it interesting that Jesus as God is saying your law. Because 
He doesn't need to live by it. However, as a human, he did. Remember, he's not one jot or tittle. I, I'm, not gonna, I'm not here to destroy the law. I'm here to fulfill the law. Right. So it's a very interesting concept. But the thing is, is that you are God's. I have made you like God. So if God was his name, then no one else could have been called God. Simply put, God is a ruler. Now get this. If the enemy is a God of this world, then doesn't it make sense that God had to make us born-again believers, gods, or rulers as well? Right. Well, I guess when we were made in His image, yeah. right? You know, you're looking at that. It's on the foundation that He is a Christ, right? And on this revelation, I will build my ecclesia, the ruling government of God on earth. So that means we have to have a status at least equal to the devil, but for sure above, right? Absolutely. So we know we're above because he tells us we are. So we need to get over these things. What, what manifests is ego? You know, well, I'm not, you know, I'm not worthy. Actually, you are because Jesus Christ has made you so. It's nothing that you can do. He has made you a God or a ruler. You know, and so you guys understand, I'm not saying we're God. He has made us rulers. We have dominion. Therefore, he said, go and expand the kingdom, expand the dominion. I was reading this morning in uh, Heavy Rain, I think it was chapter 15, and he talked about, uh, he was tracing the 1970 uh, late great planet Earth or whatever by Hal Lindsey. One of the most destructive doctrines to the church has been the pre-tribulation rapture. Because what happened is after that, rapture, after that doctrine was released, during the Jesus movement, by the way, there's no future. So why, why fight against laws like abortion? Why fight against taking God out of the schools? Why, why fight any of this stuff? This is how it's supposed to be. This is what's supposed to happen. The world is supposed to get worse. And so we abdicated our rule. A lot of people quit having children because it said, you know, woe to those that are having babies with, that are suckling during those days. He wasn't talking about us. The Jews at that time. So you got the other part where it said, now this is an interesting thought. So we're supposed to be rulers. Rulers have one goal. That is to expand their dominion. Right? Just rulers... What they're going to do is they're going to expand peace. They're going to expand prosperity. They're going to expand rights for people to be individuals who live in their own uh, calling and purpose, not socialism where you all have to be puppets and the government forces you to do those things, right? And so we've got uh, this idea of things getting worse, and yet it says... Arise, shine, for the glory of the Lord has come upon you. When deep darkness covers the earth, right, you'll be the brightest. Here's the thing. You can't be brightest, number one, if you're not here. Number two, the thing with darkness is light always overcomes it. So what if the deep darkness on the earth is a challenge to us as lights to expand the light as much as possible? Remember Tommy said, there's going to be uh, cities and states. That's what he's looking at. Yeah. So, yeah, we may have strongholds of darkness. Yes, there's going to be an Antichrist. But we have to remember 
that revelation is an unveiling of Jesus Christ, not the Antichrist. So yes, there will be persecution. Yes, there will be that stuff. However, what if in our city there isn't? Because it's a light. What if in our state it's not? Because there's a light. So we have to shift our theology here. We have to shift our mindset and realize, according to Daniel uh, chapter 11, I believe verse 26, those that know their God will do mighty exploits. Right? And so that's our job. And then what about where it says that the kingdom that's cut out of the mountain, right? It's not made with hands. That's us. The church isn't the kingdom. The building's not the kingdom. The citizens make up the kingdom that are ruled, submitted to the rule of the Father. This kingdom will gradually expand and consume all other kingdoms. How in the H-E double hockey sticks are we supposed to do that if we're gone? So this doctrine has actually, we've caused us to abdicate our rule. So it's time for the people of God to understand we are submitted to the supreme ruler as rulers. And our goal is to infiltrate all realms of society as much and as fast as possible before his return. Because we do know, let me give you a, a picture. Jesus, he said, while it's still day, right? He said that. While it's still day, I need to be doing the work the Father has given me. Okay? Because the hour is coming where it's not going to be day. What was he referring to? Do you guys remember? The enemy. He said the enemy when he was arrested. And his beatings and his crucifixion. That was the hour of darkness. It didn't last very long compared to his rule, rule as the king of light. Okay, so then you have, we are supposed to be taking kingdoms. And there's going to be an hour of darkness where the Antichrist comes on the scene. That's it. Rick Joyner years ago, he had a vision. It was very interesting. It stuck with me this entire time. He was on a ship and he was in the radar thing. Beep, beep, beep. Like he saw it, right? And all of a sudden, there's like a little dot that showed up. And no matter how they tried to maneuver the ship, they were going to have a head-on collision with it. So he's like giving commands to brace, you know, like they're doing maneuvers first. Okay, brace, we're going to hit. And then they hit it, and it was like hardly anything. And he was confused, and the Lord was like right next to him, standing next to him. So he turned to him, and he said, what was that? And he said, tribulation. Now that will give you a different perspective. Cool. In uh, Exodus 6.3 it says, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. Isn't that interesting? He had to first establish his rule. Then he showed his name. Okay? Now, let's go back to Romans 16.20. And the God of peace will swiftly pound Satan to a pulp under your feet. And the wonderful favor of our Lord Jesus will surround you. He is the ruler of peace, the God of peace, the dominion of peace. And as we submit to his rule, we're actually submitting to peace. Isn't that interesting? Peace is a state, right? It's a state of being. 
the only way you can be in a continual state of peace is to submit to the ruler of peace. It's very, very important to understand that. It's his peace in us, right? Because if you submit to his rule of peace, what do you become? A ruler of peace. We submit to him as God. We're God's. How do we submit to him as God? I am a sinner. I need to be born again. I invite you into my life. Make me born from above. Now I have your nature. Now I become a ruler in the earth, right? So in order to become a ruler of peace, we have to submit to peace. We quit striving. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and I think that is for everybody here, you know, as you get into that place where you're wanting to perform for God or whatever. Right. But by us striving, we're inserting our our will. Our, our rule our, apart from God. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. And then we end up banging heads with God instead of doing going with God. He gave me a principle years ago when I first started studying. You know, every week I have a day where I just study. And uh, I would be studying something and I'd find myself getting on this obsessive trail I was trying to figure out. And it would cause frustration. It would cause irritation. And he told me, he said, the minute, and he called it striving. He said, the minute you feel that, stop. Close your program, close your Bible, stop. And that's what I would do. Because now I'm in my soul. I'm no longer in the spirit. And so now I'm in my soul. You can, your soul can never instruct your spirit. Your spirit must instruct your soul. Because it's in your spirit that Holy Spirit has dominion. So as the God of peace, the ruler of peace in your spirit, when your soul gets into striving, when it starts getting into that weird place, you have to stop. And then you're, I submit to the rule of peace. Right? That, that's what you do. And so it was hard because when you get into obsessive loops, and obsessive loops are simply from times in your life, especially in childhood, where you had no control. You had no control. And so... Now, it's like your soul saying, if I keep going, if I keep doing this, I can figure it out. I can have peace. I can get to the end. And it's a pipe dream. So you have to stop and submit to your spirit. So you know what? I'm going to worship you. Mm -hmm. I'm going to read a book. I'm going to go for a walk. I'm going to do whatever it is. So that is one of the things that he taught me that was so beneficial. And guess what? After a few weeks of doing that, I didn't have that problem anymore. You know, like I was saying before we started, I would get obsessive about uh, building a business or getting this one thing done or whatever it was to the point where I was being late to appointments or I couldn't get myself out of it. So I'd literally get my phone, set the timer. In the, when I knew I would be in the middle, I knew something would take me an hour, I'd set my timer for 15 minutes or I set my timer for 30 minutes and it shocked me out. What did I do? Well, I'd go for a walk or I'd uh, get a little snack or whatever it was and it was just enough to get my brain out of that because certain personalities in particular DCs in particular will get into obsessive thinking that's not peace that's striving right so whenever you feel yourself striving you're no longer under the rule of peace you've abdicated your place your state that you're supposed to dwell in it's a very interesting thing so the God of peace will crush swiftly pound Satan to a pulp under our feet. Peace is the guaranteed victory in warfare. 
If you find yourself out of peace, you've already lost. So you need to get right back into that place of peace. In Ephesians 6.15 it says, And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So we often call these the shoes of peace. The shoes Paul had in mind weren't tennis shoes or sandals, you know, like we would wear today. They were those ones that the Roman soldiers would wear that had the spikes, I think like an inch uh, thick, on the bottom, or uh, tall, on the bottom of their feet. What was it for? They only wore those shoes in battle where the terrain, maybe it was muddy, they needed to be able to grip because they're in you know combat for their lives. Uh, wherever they had to have sure footing where they could not be moved. So if you're being moved, if your emotional state is being moved out of peace into striving, anxiety, fear, frustration, irritation, whatever, guess what? You need to put your shoes on, you know, and then those spikes will ground him to a pulp. Now, that's an interesting idea because it says that my seed that is going to come through the woman will crush the enemy, right? Will crush. How did he? Can I borrow, can I borrow your ESV? This? Yeah, that's an no. ESV. <laughs> no, you're always borrowing first. And uh, it says, but let's look at that. Genesis 3, um, verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise uh, his heel. Guess what head is? Rule. Hmm. So it says, your, my offspring, right, will bruise or crush your rule. Now, let's, the implication is, if you are not in peace, guess whose rule you're under? Right. The enemies. But why is he telling us that he will soon crush the enemy under our feet if he's already done it? Because he's still the ruler or God of this world. So we have to extend his rule. Jesus Christ crushed the enemy's rule under his feet at the cross, right? Now he's given us the same invitation that we will now crush his rule in all the world. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Isn't that interesting? Hmm. And the other thing with the whole, you know, the world's going to get worse and worse and worse. Well, then why did he tell us to pray your kingdom or your, uh, may it be on earth as it is in heaven? Why should we even do that? If it's just not worth it. You see what I mean? The Antichrist isn't going to take over the whole world, guys. And our responsibility is to make sure he gets as little as possible. That's our responsibility. So we have a crushing to do as we maintain peace. Because I guarantee when you start going in the seven mountains and you start taking over that territory, guess what? You're going to start getting some flack. And the only way you're going to be able to uh, maintain the work that he's given you is to have your shoes of peace on, have that immovable stance, right? And stay in peace regardless of what names you're called, who comes against you, all of that. It's very, very important. So in Colossians 3.15 it says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. So rule, the word rule here is an umpire, director, or arbiter in the public Greek games. 
in the New Testament to rule, govern, and metaphorically to prevail and abound. The Passion says that it literally means let peace be the umpire of your minds. In other words, let peace call the shots. If you're not in peace in your mind, you need to get there. It's that simple. I love that. That's why my phrase, uh, when in doubt, don't, that's what, what I mean by that. Let peace call the shots. Let peace tell you whether you should go there. Let peace tell you whether you should do that. Let peace tell you whether you should say something. So, and we're going to get in the diff into the difference between peacemaker and peacekeeper. But in Philippians 4, 6 or 7, it says, Don't be pulled in different directions or worried about a thing. Be saturated in prayer throughout each day, offering your faith-filled requests before God with overflowing gratitude. Tell Him every detail of your life. Then God's wonderful, then God's wonderful peace that transcends human understanding, here it is, will make the answers known to you through Jesus Christ. A key to prophetically hearing is peace. It's that simple. You can't hear in chaos. You can't hear in striving. And so a lot of times, let's say that God gives me a dream and I'm pondering its meaning. I'll look up the symbols and things, and then guess what I do? I put it on a back burner, on simmer, and I go about my day, pray in the Spirit. Sometimes I don't even think about the dream. Other times I might be. Hmm, I wonder what that means, blah, blah. But I'm not, it's, it's simmering in the, I guess you could say, the sauce of peace. Right? I'm not, I'm marinating it. I'm not letting myself get into strife. And then all of a sudden, I could be doing something like clean up poop in the backyard, uh, training uh, with Coach Greg, going for a walk, and all of a sudden, bam, the answer's right there. And usually it's not up here, it's here. It's like, tink, it gets dropped down in my, my spirit, right? So that's going to be very important, especially as we continue with our prophetic training, is to always ask yourself, do a check, am I in peace? So he will make the answers known to you through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace. That's where the answers are, is in peace. When you allow his rule of peace in your life, that peace will make the answers known to you. And this is incredible. So we can see that the strategy you need is only in the sphere of his rule of peace in your heart. Whatever answer you need, whatever strategy you need, anything that you need, it's only going to be found there. So what is peace? Well, it's letting Father function as ruler of peace in your heart. In the Greek, it's the uh, word Irene. And it means peace. It also is the opposite of war and dissension. Metaphorically, peace of mind, tranquility, that comes from reconciliation with God and a sense of divine favor. It's also health, wel welfare, prosperity, and every kind of good. But I guess you could say every kind of God, <laughs> every dimension of them. That's supposed to be good. But did you see that? Divine favor. What if people are wanting to operate in the favor of God, which, by the way, everybody is loved by God, not everybody is living in the favor of God. What if maybe the reason the favor is absent in their life is because peace is absent in their life? Is that interesting? Luke 1.79, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into, into the way of peace. Way of peace. That's very important. So he came to give us light, 
This light is to guide us into the way of peace. The way of peace is the way of happiness in the Greek. It's every kind of good in your life. But note that it is a way you must follow. So the areas where you're not following peace and your health, where welfare, I keep wanting to say um, like warfare, uh, prosperity, relationships, and every other kind of good means that you will face challenges and contradictions. So wherever you have a challenge, wherever you have a contradiction in your life compared to the Word and what God says you're supposed to have means you're not living in peace. Okay? So that's, that's an important uh, marker there. The other side is that if God, and I'll use that you know, as a name since you know, everybody else does, is going to crush Satan under your feet with peace, then true peace only comes after warfare. And now we're to the difference between a peacekeeper and a peacemaker. So true peace comes after war. And many will try to keep the peace to avoid war. That delays it. That's all that does. Peacekeeping only delays it. Brave communication. Courage first, right? Well, strength first. Then courage. Then safety. Why does he say that? It takes strength to have courage. And it takes courage to address difficult situations to have safety. Safety is an aspect of peace. Okay, so... Many try to keep the peace to avoid war when that simply delays it. With the enemy, you will have to fight at times. You can't avoid it. It's the same thing with people. You're not, you're not helping anybody by biting your tongue unless Holy Spirit tells you to. Okay? So if there's a situation where you know that you need brave communication, then it's very important that you have the courage, even at the risk of making someone angry or at the risk of a relationship, right? It is important that you still are willing to say what you need to say. And it's not fun. I remember driving six and a half, seven hours to have a conversation with a family member, which meant that I might lose that relationship with them because in the past when I had, some, had said something, I did. So there was a very real risk. And it did change the relationship, where now it's maybe just now coming back to what it was. But that is a risk I was willing to take for their sake. When you don't want to say something because you're afraid of what they're going to say, and when I say say something, I don't mean be a jerk about it. But when you're not willing to say something because you're afraid of what they will say or their response or their wrath or losing relationship, you are no longer in agape love. You're now in phileo love where your ego has twisted it. Okay? Because now it's about you, not about them. Okay? So they, these are very important things. So let me make it plain, if I haven't already. In order to conquer the enemy and take your promised land, you must allow the ruler of peace to rule in you because the external envir environment around you will reflect the internal environment in you always. Always. Your external environment will always default to your internal. If there's a lot of strife and anger around you, guess what? You probably need to look at yourself. If your employees are unhappy, guess what? You probably need to look at yourself. If your spouse and kids are unhappy with you, you probably need to look at yourself. We're always deflecting outward when maybe there's something internal that's going on and yet because of ego, we're not seeing it and we have people around us trying to bring it to our attention. Does that make sense? 
See, now I want to meddle. Now I want to get in your business, right? And so, you know why me and Mike have peace with each other? Because we've worked awfully hard to have peace with each other. See? And he can, well, plus I like him. But he can say, he can say stuff like, hey, you know, I really wouldn't want you to be driving and get caught in a storm. That's all I need to cancel my trip. Because he doesn't say stuff like that. We've taken the time to get to know each other. We've had difficult conversations. We've allowed each other to influence and get, give each other power over the other in a way that's mutually inclusive, right? So it's the thing with your family. If they keep saying, I can never talk to you, Maybe you should listen to that and be like, you know what? Maybe they can't. So my internal environment is creating an external environment where people don't feel safe. The other thing, though, is what if they don't need to feel safe because you need to challenge them to that next level? So whenever people keep repeating themselves on specific things, it is worth taking time with Holy Spirit to say, okay, I keep hearing this. Maybe I need to deal with something here. Especially if it's more than one person. Exactly. I've been mentoring a lady that everyone was telling her, you need to get a lawyer. And so yesterday we had our appointment. And she said, my parents said, we will pay for you to get a lawyer. Just consider this your inheritance. And I said, well, in a multitude of counsel, there is safety. I've been telling you need to get a lawyer. Your parents have been telling you need to get a lawyer. Other people have been telling her you need to get a lawyer. And she started laughing. She said, just this week I've been saying, in a multitude of counsel there is safety. In a multitude of counsel there is safety. And then I said, and then it's from peace. God of peace, blah, blah, blah. She's like, oh my gosh, I've been telling. So it was like every single scripture God had been given her. And so then, I'm, then she said, but then the risk is the wrath of the other person. And I said, it is strength and courage first, safety next. This is not about you. This is about your children. So she's getting a lawyer. In fact, she had already talked to one, but she's afraid to continue. You see what I mean? So now I, you know, it's like now you have ego interfering because you don't want the brunt of what. So you got to be a peacemaker. She tends to be a peacekeeper. Is that interesting? Peacekeepers will lie to keep the peace. They will lie. So peacemakers are willing to be brave and tell it like it is if necessary in order to have lasting peace. Well, and I think too, you cannot fool yourself into being thinking you're a peacekeeper when there isn't peace in the first place. Right. You know, you have to have true peace to be a true peacekeeper. Maker, you mean? Well. Because peacekeeper will keep the peace at all costs. Well, peacemaker will make peace. But is it a true peace? Well, that's true. I see what you're yeah. saying. People that think they're peace exactly. keepers, uh -huh. do they actually have true peace? Probably not because they're not willing to rock the boat. Right. Because so in this situation, she's being a peacekeeper, but there is no peace. Mm -hmm. So uh, what is she really guarding? And she's not guarding peace. Right. She's really guarding conflict. Mm -hmm. uh, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. She's just guarding that. Yeah. You know, she's raising that up to its improper position in her life. Yeah. And instead of really uh, being willing to actually make peace and then keep it. Right, right. Yes. Being, that was one of the biggest revelations I ever got on being a peacemaker versus a peacekeeper. It was one of the biggest revelations because I'm like, wow. Now, again, it doesn't mean you go around being a jerk. You know, it doesn't mean you provoke just for provocation's sake. It, 
although I kind of like doing that on Facebook, it doesn't mean that, you know, you uh, talk down to people or anything like that, but it's the willingness to have that brave communication, you know? And so that's very, very important. And um, so, the battle to take your promised land or enter his realm of resting must be sourced in internal peace so that your warfare actually produces peace. A lot of people are at war not to produce peace, they're just angry, you know. So here in Luke 8, 22 through 25, this is a prime example. So this is in the Passion, it says, One day Jesus said to his disciples, Let's get in a boat and go across the other side of the lake. So they set sail. Soon Jesus fell asleep. Excuse me. The wind rose and the fierce wind became a violent squall that threatened to swamp their boat. So the disciples woke Jesus up and said, Master, Master, we're sinking. Don't you care that we're going to drown? Now, I want to point out something. Master, Master. Do you find that interesting? They were relating to him in his function, not who he was. Therefore, when he wasn't ruling like they thought, they said, Don't you care? I think that's very interesting. If you only relate to God as a ruler, when it feels like he's not coming through, you'll become offended. Okay? Don't you care that we're going to drown? With great authority, Jesus rebuked the howling wind and surging waves, and instantly they stopped and became as smooth as glass. And then Jesus said, Why are you fearful? Have you lost your faith in me? I mean, this man... They ate together, they slept together, they did ministry together, they worked together. He had proven himself as a friend. He had proven himself as faithful multiple times. And the first crisis that comes, they're like relating to him as ruler. See, that's what people do. Well, if God really existed, none of this stuff would happen. Okay? So they're trying to relate to him in his function when he's actually saying, I made you gods in the earth, actually. So if you want to have a conversation about rulership, let's actually have the conversation. So, shocked and shake, shaken, they said with amazement to one another, who is this man who has authority over winds and waves? They obey him. Now, we know this was a supernatural storm. It was a, an a, attack to keep Jesus from getting to the other side because of the demoniac. But how on earth could Jesus sleep during a hurricane force storm? See, that's my question. How? I mean, he's getting wet. He's, you know, the boat's going up and down, and he's sleeping like a baby. Now, you could say, well, he's exhausted. I've been exhausted, and I can guarantee you that there is no way I'm going to be sleeping through a hurricane force storm. I will be awake. Number one, I don't like water. Number two, I don't care for boats that much, especially in rocking waves. So here's the thing. He was the Prince of Peace, a.k.a. ruler of peace in the flesh. And the reason he had great authority is because peace was his authority. Peace was his authority. So his internal reality shaped his external reality only because it was source in peace. So in other words, his internal reality was a peace that passed understanding to the point where he could sleep in peace in the midst of Hurricane Force Storm. Isn't that interesting? I find that very, very interesting. Now, in Hebrews 4.1, let's go back to this, where it says, Now God has offered to us the same promise of entering into His realm of resting and confident faith. So be, we must be extremely careful 
to ensure that we all embrace the fullness of that promise and not fail to experience it. Okay, the phrase extremely careful to embrace the fullness of that promise of entering his realm of resting. We'll get to what that rest is in a minute, but the main idea is that we need to embrace the fullness of this promise by mixing what word we hear with faith. Okay, the word they heard did not benefit them. What does that mean? The word benefit means to provide assistance with emphasis on the resulting benefit. So the word of God is meant to provide you with assistance to get you a resulting benefit. For every word spoken, whether written or rhema, right? Whether logos or rhema, it carries the empowerment in it to get you the result, the benefit you're seeking. It is stagnant. It is without the ability to do so if you don't mix it with faith. So your faith activates. Your faith is like yeast. You put it in the, the, the lump, right? And it rises. So faith mixed in with the word rises when there's a conflict with that word. It's a natural thing. When you mix a word with faith, it's a natural thing. So it's kind of like when I had food poisoning that time and I'm on the couch suffering. And Ken's like, Mom, why don't you just get healed? I said, well, I was the idiot that left, you know, the yogurt and everything in the car. And he's like, looking at me like I was an idiot. And he said, so God can't heal you if you were stupid? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that's dumb. <laughs> so then I was like, dumb was just going all the way around, right? So I had been teaching on faith and what it really is during the time, during that time. And so he laid hands and I literally felt faith, like a physical sensation, come up and smack his hand right there. I mean, it was crazy. So I'm not even listening to what he's saying. I'm all, you know, and I was instantly healed. What happened? Faith mixed with the word he was praying and it rose up and I was instantly healed. See, that's how it works. So let's take practicing, right? Faith mixed with the word. Now all of a sudden you cease from striving. Now you're in peace and all of a sudden you get key four days before we have our practice, right? Probably should have written it down though, but it's all right. So we need to pay careful attention and make sure that we mix faith with the word and it will come to the occasion when needed okay so you get the assistance the word join join your faith it means united to cause parts to fix together in an overall arrangement this means it's your responsibility to unite your faith with the words you hear so that all the parts of your life begin to fit together in an overall arrangement predestined in god's mind for you did you get that the only way you're going to live the fullness of your purpose, the reason you were born, is mixing faith with the timely word that God's giving you. That's the only way. That's the puzzle pieces that come together. They're glued. They form this picture. So when God says you're this, you better mix your faith with it. Because the word isn't active until you do. Okay? So then it says... For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them. Okay, <clears throat> so only two of the twelve believed they could possess the promised land, Joshua and Caleb. 
the other ten spies were in doubt, and that, de that doubt spread like a virus. Therefore, the unity that should have been in the people of God to take the promised land was not there. Therefore, we see that faith to believe God's word isn't just for us. It's for the entire group. If one person is not joining their faith with the word heard, then the whole group suffers. He did not make his islands. Okay? And so, it's not just for individuals. It's for ecclesias joined together for the common cause. There are no lone rangers in the kingdom. So, if that doesn't motivate you to hear the word and mix it with faith, I don't know what will. You know? And, and I can feel sometimes where it's like, hey, this is what we're doing. If people don't get, and that could be my, my failure for imparting vision, but if people don't get what I'm saying, if they don't mix their faith with it, it's like we're missing an arm. You know what I mean? It's like, man, we're moving so fast right now. You know what I mean? You not mixing your faith with what we're doing can really cause problems. And so we really have to be careful with that and make sure that for the, the good of the group, we're all engaged in this thing. Now, in verse three through, verses 3 through 5, we'll finish with this. And I know I gave you a lot of scriptures today, but I really wanted to lay out the, the biblical foundation. For those of us who believe faith activates, faith activates the promise. Do you see that? Faith activates the promise. And we experience a realm of confident rest. For he has said, I was grieved with them and made a solemn oath. They will never enter into the calming rest of my spirit. God's works have been completed from the foundation of the world. Wow. His work in each one of us was completed before the foundation of the world. See, predestination, as most people believe, does not exist, but predestination does exist. What do I mean? When he saw you, he saw you born again. And as a born-again believer, he had certain predestination things for you to do. Remember, in the book, it's written of what you're supposed to do according to Psalm 139. It's already there. But if you keep resisting him, strong-arming him, not believing what he said that you're supposed to be and do, you'll never enter his rest. It's our check engine light. Absolutely. That's good. <laughs> That's good. Low, low oil the, light. If we don't have that peace and rest, that's our Your check, check engine. engine that's really good. You are predestined to do specific things. And that's why when he says you are this, this is what you're going to be doing, you need to say, yes, I agree with you. Okay. I may not see it yet, but you're obviously giving me the picture. I'm going to take that picture, mix it with my faith, and allow it to form within me who you have predestined me to be. For it says in Scripture, on the seventh day God rested from all His works. And again, as I say before, they will never enter into my calming place of rest. Okay. Faith activates the promise. The promise is in the decree, right? So faith activates your decree, which then fulfills the natural manifestation of the promise in your life. A lot of people are going around decree and throwing them out like, you know, spit. When you can decree all day, but if you don't believe what you're saying, it's a waste of time. It's a waste of time. Well, I thought we're supposed to confess the word, and by hearing it, it'll produce faith. If that's what you're doing. But if you're trying to decree because you're in fear, or you're trying to decree because people say you're supposed to, and there's no faith, 
That's like throwing your money in an offering bucket, not activating it in faith. It's not going to produce any result, right? 2 Corinthians 4.13 says, Since we have the same spirit of faith. Okay, whose? What does it mean, same spirit? What same spirit? Jesus Christ. He had to be resurrected so he could give us his spirit. That was the whole thing. The promise given to Abraham was Holy Spirit. We have the exact same Holy Spirit that Jesus had as a man. So since he has given us the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe, so we also speak. Now we're getting into what the rest is. The passion tells us it's the calming rest of his spirit because God finished his work at the Genesis, the foundation, the beginning of the world. Oh, oh wait a minute. I thought Jesus came to complete the work. He simply walked in what he was designed to do and what was already accomplished. In Revelation 13, it says, All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of... Whose names uh, have... Good grief. Whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. The main work of Jesus as a man was to be slain. And his work was already completed in his mind at the beginning of the world. Jesus lived in the it is finished so he could say... It is finished. Do you get what I'm saying? This is powerful. He lived in the end from the very beginning. That was his end. And he simply walked and heard Holy Spirit, mixed it with faith. He came for the joy set before him. He endured the cross, right? And so what was the joy set before him? A restoration of all things before a restoration was needed. It's very powerful. If you'll start living in your end, you'll actually get there. <laughs> you see what I mean? God just told me, Second uh, Peter 3 says, Everything we could ever need for life and godliness has already been deposited in us by His divine power. Yep. So it's already there. Well, and then you have Second Corinthians 3, 18, and we behold Him as in a mirror. Mm -hmm. Right? Why a mirror? You see yourself. You see yourself. Your completeness is in his completeness, what he did. See, this is exciting. This is where I can start getting up and I can start running around and preaching even because <laughs> your end is in him because in him is your genesis. So he lived and it is finished before he could say it is finished. That was his goalpost. Now he's saying, you are finished in me. This is who you are. This is what you'll be doing. It's already been decided. If you want to be that person, if you want to live that life, you have to see your end from your beginning. Isn't that good? That's why vision is so important. And that's why the enemy has stolen it through the new age. That's why it's so important to get those things. And so we behold him as in a mirror and we are transformed from glory to glory or according to the original language, each glory of who we are is unveiled. We're not going from step glory to step glory to step glory. All we're doing is he's unveiling another part of himself that is who we are now. And it's like, bam, had no idea. It's, it's fascinating. So the main work of Jesus was to be slain. That work was already completed in his mind at the beginning of the world. It was on the seventh day that he rested from all his work. And Jesus is the God or ruler of the Sabbath. 
or rest. Could it be that the seventh day was the day he was slain in his vision? Not sure. It's an interesting thought, but here's the deal. God has a place of rest for you. It's your job to believe. And the rest is a completed end of who you are. I need that scripture again. <clears throat> the second? First Peter. Oh, second, yeah, Peter. second Peter. Yeah, and it's uh, second Peter, and it started with three there. Mm -hmm. I read it last night. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so verses six through nine. Those who first heard the good news of deliverance failed to enter into that realm of faith's rest because of their unbelieving hearts. Yet the fact remains that we still have an opportunity to enter into the faith rest life. I love that. And experience the fulfillment of the promise. For God still has ordained a day for us to enter into, into called today. That's very interesting. For as long uh, afterwards that God repeated it in David's words, If only today you will listen to his voice and do not harden your hearts. Now, if this promise of rest was fulfilled when Joshua brought the people into the land, God wouldn't have spoken later of another rest yet to come. So we conclude that there is still a full and complete rest waiting for believers to experience. Okay. Unbelief keeps you from the calming rest of His Spirit. And yet we've been given an opportunity to experience the fullness, the fulfillment of the promise of the rest that Joshua's taking in the promised land was a shadow of. So then he continues, as we enter into God's faith, rest, life. I like that phrase. Faith, rest, life. We cease from our own works. That's striving. Just as God celebrates his finished works and rests in them. So then we must give our all and be eager to experience his faith, rest, life. So that no one falls short by following the same pattern of doubt and unbelief. Okay. His faith, rest life is when we cease from our own works performance legalism approval seeking striving all of that stuff entering the rest of god is entering and dwelling in his rest of the it is finished version of you and i think it's important and it would be interesting to go back and look at on the epistle you know these all the letters in the new testament because on Second Peter, may grace and perfect peace cascade over you. Mm. Mm -hmm. And you know, I'm thinking Paul, mm -hmm. and it's always peace, peace, mm -hmm. peace. And mm -hmm. I think they had an understanding that probably the average Christian does not have. Right. So it would be interesting to see, it, you know, how they promoted that peace in their greetings and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I mean, just think about it. So. You have peace when you see the finished product. Now let's think about the Lord. He rested on the seventh day. The lamb slain before the foundation of the world. What did he see? The lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Out of that revelation, he formed the earth. I mean, these are mind twisters, guys. And that was the hope set before him. Yes. When he was, yeah, I mean, yes. it was... Good so how do you keep from hope deferred? See your end. That, that's, that's the thing. You see your end. Faith, life, or faith, rest, life, is you see your end. All that He's called you to be. Negative never produces change. That's why people battle with habits. Pain of a body that's tired, sluggish, whatever it is, never produces change. You seeing yourself full of energy, uh, uh, healthy weight, 
healthy blood pressure, whatever it is, you see yourself, that produces the change you're going after. The pain of debt never produces change, but seeing yourself a millionaire will. It'll sustain you when everything's coming against you. Vision, aspiration is more powerful than pain, right? And so when you see those things, guys, that's when you're on your way to breaking a default habitual thinking because you see a life that's better. It's so important. And so maybe for those of you that are really trying to attain a certain level or a certain promise, see yourself there already and rest in that, right? So that when you're working on it or working in it, you still maintain peace because you see the end and you know. You know that's where you're going. You don't have to strive to get there. Jesus came as the light of the world. He was entering the earth a second time as light. The first was pre-fall. God said, let there be light. That was Jesus, right? He came again. He was entering the earth the second time as light. The first was pre-fall, the second post-fall. He had to work while it was day to reintroduce the original intent of God by creating a new race. Genesis 1, 27 through 28. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them. And he said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the earth and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, that's interesting. Have dominion. Be gods. Be rulers, right? That right there, Genesis 1, 27, 28, has never changed. That is still what he's going after. But man was corrupted by Adam and Eve's sin. Therefore, a last Adam had to be born and birth a new race of humans, God-men, that possessed authority sourced from heaven and the earth to gradually and methodically take over the world system, the order, the arrangement of darkness. That's what, uh, that's what cosmos means, the arrangement, the world order, the order of darkness. Our job is to see what's in heaven and bring it to earth in order to do that. We must allow the work of peace in our character and thinking to have its way so that our internal reality can affect our external. Isn't that amazing? That's why it's the kindness of the Lord that leads people to repentance, not anger. That, that's what, It's the kindness of the Lord. It's amazing. And so, guys, I would encourage you to ponder this week what's your end. What's your, what is your full rest, it is finished self? Write it down. You know, whatever it is. If you think you've already arrived, praise God. You probably don't live, need to live another day. But if you know that there is more for you than where you're at now, and don't allow it just to be spiritual, guys. We, we will relegate these things to the spiritual realm, which, you know, I mean, if you think about it this way, before you can take cities, what do you have to do? No. You have to have more money makes money. I teach you guys this stuff. So, in order to have true riches, you got to know what to do with earth riches. Right? So if you're tired of being poor, maybe you should sit down and get a vision of yourself that knows how to deal with money. Right? If your relationships don't have peace, what does that look like? 
Where, where's the disconnect? And then, okay, Lord, help me work toward that end of peace. There's so many areas you can apply this to your life that's here and now. So have the spiritual, have those things, but make sure you also have the practical every day. Because when you get those issues solved, then you're able to take cities. It's very important that we all fulfill our it is finished person because that is what will take cities. Isn't that interesting? So it's not just about us uh, as individuals. It's about everybody that we serve. Does that make sense? Do you have any thoughts? I just think this is incredible. The it is finished place we're supposed to live in. All right, well, let's pray. Let's take up our uh, tithes and offerings, and then we're going to have worship. So, Margie. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Everything came to my door. Maybe you could put a do not disturb, <laughs> because <laughs> Ecclesia starts at 1130, and sometimes Holy Spirit shifts things. I yeah, I sat down, and I'm like, I think we're supposed to get into this first. So here's what I want you to do. I'm going to pray for you guys. I'm going to pray uh, that during worship, a picture of peace that He has for you comes up, whatever area it is, that it's so clear it imprints you. You know, it imprints in your heart, okay? So, Father, we thank You so much that You are the ruler, the supreme ruler over all other gods. And yet, You did not hold tightly to that where You didn't share it with us. You've made us gods or rulers on the earth to further your kingdom purposes. And Father, you gave a picture. You and Jesus made this agreement that he would become man. And he had a picture of what his it is finished self was. And he literally just walked in those steps, Father. And he maintained peace at all times. Peace that allowed him to walk through a mob that wanted to throw him all over the side of a cliff. A peace that told him, hey, don't leave here and go pray for Lazarus until four days later. He had this peace, this it is finished, faith, rest, life, that you said we must be extremely careful to enter into. And so for, for some of us, Father, we may feel there are certain areas where it's too late. Father, I ask that you replace that it's too late to it is finished and help us to shift our reality, whether it's in our physical bodies, our finances, our relationships, uh, our professional life, whatever it is, Father, where we are not living up to that it is finished vision you have for us, I pray, Father, you show us today in worship that we no longer get on the internet and research and try to reinforce evidence of inferior states in our health or our relationships or even the world for that matter that well the world's going to hell in a handbasket so we might as well just abdicate our rule and and get holed up in bunkers and caves for the end but father instead we see the vision of a world where the glory of the lord fills it that's your it is finished therefore that should be our it is finished Pray, Father, that we no longer collect evidence that reinforces an unfinished vision for our lives, but instead we reinforce the it is finished vision by what you impart to us. So when we're in worship this morning, Father, I ask that for everybody in this room that you give them an imprint, a picture, a fotizo in their imagination 
May the eyes of our imagination be enlightened, have a picture of the imitation you've given us in the kingdom. So I ask, Father, that you sear our imagination with a picture in worship. And I pray, Father, that we ponder that, that we allow it to grow, that we take it uh, the uh, cascading grace and peace in our lives. Where love is enthroned, we come to you to obtain the grace that is needed and receive mercy's kiss from Father, the approval of who we are in you. And so I pray, Father, you give us that in our worship time. And I also ask Jesus that you receive our tithes and offerings this morning. We know that when we give to you, you don't need money. That's an earthly thing. But it is our allegiance to you that the prosperity you have given us over the past week belongs to you. We give you glory. We give you allegiance. And so we ask, Father, that you take our offerings, our tithes, and give us wisdom on how those are to be distributed and used for your glory. We give you honor. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we'll do uh, worship now.